like, I mean, when you say sex friends, which is kind of a funny term, but it's, it is really what it is. And actually that strengthens those friendships quite a bit. We have great experiences doing that. And actually me still being in the city, uh, some of my best friends here kind of be, began, we began hooking up actually. And then like that friendship really strengthened and then maybe the hookup part f- fell away, but. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 124. Take two. <laughs> We're Finn and Emma. The first one was a total train wreck. <laughs> we messed up a few things. Uh, today we have an interview with Michelle and Steve. They have an amazing story and they have been exploring non-monogamy for a little while in their relationship. Pretty much since the beginning. Yeah. And they were supposed to get married the day before we interviewed them. I know. uh, The day before Easter and then, well, coronavirus. Right. So one of them is stuck in Europe and one of them is on the East Coast and we were on the West Coast and it was, uh, we had a good Easter. We had an Easter ham with them. (laughs) It was, I forgot, we did record this We did an Easter egg hunt, a virtual Easter egg hunt. So who knew that that's what they were going to get when they signed up for an interview? That's true. (laughs) But anyway, we have a couple quick announcements before we jump into the show, as usual. Our first is that our next Patreon Q&A call is tonight, May 13th, 9 p.m. Central. I'm sorry, 9 p.m. Eastern and again at 9 p.m. Pacific. We never do them in Central Time. I don't want to do a take three. Come on, let's pull it together. Rally. If you're in Central Time, you can figure out what time you need to join based on the Eastern and the Pacific. Oh, my gosh. Um. We would love to have you all join us for that. So if you're interested, go check out our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon page and hop on over and join us for our Q&As. Yeah, it's been a great way for us to build community and uh, stave off the isolation, that and the social isolation that we've been struggling with. And I think everybody's been getting a lot out of it. So we hope uh, that you, if you're listening and you're one of the Patreon people, that you are getting that. And thank you. And if you're not, think about joining. It's it's a lot of fun and we would love to have you. We've also started a women's group with our Patreon uh, supporters. So please, we'd love to have you join that as well. So go check it out. The other exciting news is you may have heard us mention that we're doing a virtual meet and greet. And we are. It's not a rumor. May 28th from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, we will be doing a virtual Zoom meet and greet. Yep. The way that we're going to do this, and we tested this a couple weeks ago with our Patreon group, is we bring everybody together in one big group, and then we break people out into individual rooms and talk about a question. We give you a fun question, like, if you were stuck on a desert island and could only bring one item, what would it be? Right. Right. Not necessarily that exact question, but something like that, and then you all talk about it, and then... About five minutes later, we bring everybody back together. We scramble the rooms and we do it again. Yeah. So it's $10 and we would love to have all of you join us to sign up. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and go to the events page and sign up. And while you're there, check out the resources page for all your non-monogamy needs, resource needs, tools, needs. (laughs) All of it. Or contact us. Contact us. That's even better. 
While you're there, reach out to us on the contact us page. Send us a voicemail. We'll send you one back. It'll be personalized. That's how we actually got in touch with Michelle and Steve. Michelle sent us a voicemail, and That's we true. I think we went back and forth like uh, 17 times. Not that many, but like yeah. 13 times. <laughs> and so it works, people. Yeah. So anyway, go check out our website. And now let's go talk to Michelle and Steve. That was my airplane. We were on an airplane. (laughs) That was perfect. (laughs) I thought so. All right. Well, this is one of our first recordings from uh, multiple continents. Three different locations. Yeah. Welcome, Michelle and Steve. We're excited to have you here. Thank you for having us. We're very excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. And actually, we're recording this on Easter Sunday. Yes. One day after what was supposed to be your wedding, but... (laughs) Coronavirus be damned. You couldn't do it. That sucks. And we're so sorry to hear that. We'll we'll do it again. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is just like a wedding, basically. Right. Like coming in the show. It's the same as uh, I feel I feel celebrated. So yeah. Well, everybody will send their wishes and uh, we appreciate you being here. So thank you. And maybe for the listeners, do you mind introducing yourselves? Who are Michelle and Steve? Sure. Uh, I'm Michelle. 30 years old, currently in Eastern Europe for work. Um, and I've been in a relationship with Steve for almost two years. And I guess that's it for now. Okay. <laughs> More to come. Um, I'm Steve. I'm from Los Angeles originally. Uh, as Michelle said, we've been together for two years now. And we've been doing long distance since our jobs kind of shifted us from, from being in the same place. So she's stuck in Eastern Europe and I'm somewhere on the East Coast now. And we're doing our best to make it work in the time of plague. Yeah, no, it's uh, not an easy time, but props to you both for making it work. So, yeah. Doing our best. Yeah. And you, when you reached out, you said that you guys have started exploring non-monogamy fairly recently. Um, and maybe do you mind talking a little bit about like what your dynamic is today? And then maybe we can go back in time to how it all started. Yeah. So maybe starting with what is today, as you said, it's evolved recently and I would say it's continuing to evolve. Um, but for now we are together, obviously I have a girlfriend here in the city where I am. And Steve has seen a few women as well where he is since we've been apart almost six months now, but we're talking all day, every day together. And, uh, it's been interesting. So our my my journey in non-monogamy started before I met Michelle. I went through a bunch of different phases of relationships. I got married super young, divorced super young, because of course that happens. And then I I felt like I discovered some cheat codes in the non-monogamy uh, sector when I just said what I thought all the time and didn't make excuses for feelings and took people at face value. And it turns out that was just a much easier way to live. So uh, when we met in Eastern Europe, uh, she thought I was an absolute crazy person saying that, well, I like you, but I, and I want to sleep with you, but I also sleep with these other people. Do you want to meet them? And that was a little bit of a shock for everybody. So the cheat code was honesty. J- yeah, just, just <laughs> com- communicating. It sounds like a platitude, but it's, it's true. Yeah, that's fun. All right. Yeah. And on your side, Michelle, when that happened, I mean, that was your first exposure to anything like this? Yeah. Um, I was telling, yeah, my good friends, my open-minded friends, uh, that I met this crazy person and I didn't think there was any way it would last, but that I had just had to soak it up because it seemed unbelievable. Kind of this, I don't know, this openness. I never met someone so honest. So I was very intrigued by that. 
Um, and I was open to kind of meeting the other women that he was seeing in the city. And I must say that went poorly most of the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I usually end up yes. getting upset or even angry at him. But so, yeah, that was a, that was a ride. I did maybe, I would say around eight of those meetings. And then I think I said that we should stop doing that because that's not going well. But it was, it's an interesting experience. I mean, this, you get to meet a lot of different people, I suppose, and get close to different people. And that's, I think, a huge positive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to be clear, Michelle, like you had never even thought of non-monogamy or anything related to that prior to when, before you met Steve, right? Uh, correct. Yes. Um, I think I had my first girlfriend when I was 15, so I knew I was bi, but I had always been in monogamous relationships and those always went somewhat poorly. Like even when they were long-term, um, there was some cheating involved on both sides, unfortunately. So I was more than interested when I heard about this open relationship that Steve was in. And when I met him, he had a longtime girlfriend in Washington, D.C. And yeah, I was seeing some other people in the city where we were in. And that was just that concept itself was, yeah, interesting to say the least. And uh, I was, I had to know more about how that worked or if that worked. Right. And I was really excited to meet the the girlfriend at the time as well. And we did have that meeting in another city in Europe. And that uh, was also an interesting experience. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, it wasn't great it wasn't great <laughs> so there so it hasn't been good meeting the metamors so to speak right well and the, the problem was was for a long time i i considered myself you know I, I i read the literature i studied the secret code that everybody in the non-monogamy um arena speaks in the, the poly uh um, taxonomy and i figured like i saw myself as having this identity really absorbing it and the problem was that when I when I met uh, Michelle, we bonded so quickly um, and and so much more intensely than I had ever experienced previously. And I think that the reason so many of my other relationships fell away and so many so many of those meetings went poorly was just because they could see there was there was an obvious distance in the way that I maintain relations with relationships with everybody else, but no distance with the way that I maintained with Michelle because it was just, it was so quick and so powerful. Um, and that kind of shifted the identity to me being more monogamish, I guess, or us being like collectively open, you know, as a team sport, but not really, um, independent projects like I was doing before. Right. Yeah. Cause originally it was, it sounded like you had maybe a long-term girlfriend, but then lots of other women that you were seeing maybe in a more casual sense. And it sounds like, yeah, you know, when you met Michelle, you right. And, of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. We 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 clicked together very quickly. You know, we we had shared values. I was obviously very attracted to her, and the time we spent together just flew by. It was it was it was unbelievable. It wasn't like anything I'd ever experienced before. So my kind of like assumed identity melted away or or got whittled down to something more communal now with her. And how did I guess how did that like that journey from your your independence to now a collective unit with her. And then also at the same time, she's learning about non-monogamy for the first time. Like that's a lot of worlds colliding at once. That was, yeah, that was so intense, that time period. I mean, every day seemed to be just full of emotions and we're never being able to focus at work, this sort of thing, specifically because he had this long-term girlfriend he was very committed to and kind of having this identity that he was very open about and um, convinced of, maybe I can say that like, you know, it's able to love two, two people, e you know, equally, and there's not one about the other. And so I was really kind of to 
trying to grapple with that and understand that and kind of my place then in it, because I guess I felt me, you know, jealous, sure. And also like, you know, I didn't have anything on my side and then so how, you know, how I'm giving all of my, maybe 100%, not that it's not that that's true or how it is, but how I felt at the time to, you know, maybe if I was receiving less than that, or maybe I should also have someone then. And that, yeah, that was, that lasted for a long time, maybe a, a year, eight months. The eight months, I would say. So originally, Michelle, you didn't have any other partners. You were, I guess what you're explaining, right, is you were giving basically 100% into this relationship. And because he had another partner, he was giving back 50%. And maybe those weren't the exact percentages, but that was sort of the perception was that it was, you were all in and he was 50, 50, 50. And again, I, I mean, I, ha- I had him, whatever, in my same city. So we were together all the time. And and I guess just not feeling maybe, you know, good enough or these kind of maybe obvious feelings one would have. Like, you know, why, why aren't I good enough? Or, yeah, it was... But he was always very honest about it. And I don't know, that was, that was intriguing. And it, and it kind of, and it worked until, until we all met, actually, I would say. To clarify, I never told her she wasn't good enough. I wasn't honest about her not being good enough. That was not what was said at the time, just for the record. <laughs> no, did I make Fair it point. seem like that? I did not mean to say that. No. <laughs> I was going to ask when, when you met the, these other partners of Steve's, you said it didn't go well. And that is that because do you think, you know, that there was jealousy or more because on the other women's part point of view, they were seeing the connection you two have and they, that maybe you didn't Steve have that connection with them, or I guess how, why didn't it go well at all? Steve, you'll know more and you can continue on this, but I will, my assumption is that these people were also kind of monogamous and focusing and working under that idea and had never seen him with another woman so maybe that kind of bubble didn't have to burst until then yeah um i think this is a theme that i've heard in a couple of other of your guys's episodes non-monogamy conceptually sounds amazing to a lot of people you know you get your freedom you get to spend time with somebody you get the physical attention that you want but at the same time when you're actually confronted with the reality of it like oh my partner is sleeping with other people and there he or she is oh my god this is collapsing on me I experienced that a bunch because, yeah, the casual relationships are casual to the extent that they're not really taking part in your life. And when you give them a window into your life, they often don't like what they see. And this this can go, you know, both ways for men and women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd say, like, it didn't work mostly because of the other women, not necessarily, like, you two didn't have a problem meeting these. Like, it didn't impact your relationship. No. And we did, I mean, we, we had some experiences that were worse than others, some that bordered on good or fine, I would say. Um, it was just the way that we met was we were seeing each other casually. There was ambiguity inherent to the relationship. And because of that, I think both of us were kind of, you know, circling each other. Like, what does this mean? What are your intentions with me here? And, uh, because of that, it was hard to know where we stood with each other and especially hard for Michelle to know where she stood with me. But I, I feel like I turned that around pretty quickly early in the relationship because I could tell this was something different. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a choice that I made to cut those other relationships for her benefit. It was just what happened naturally because this is now the thing that I want to be doing. Right. The relationship. You're, you're a person, baby, not a thing. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> well, and, and as you two kind of grew closer and stronger and that relationship started to, to sort of rise 
maybe rise above the rest in a, in a sense. I guess, how did you two then start to renegotiate non-monogamy within the new sort of dynamic you had? I would almost say that part never changed. I mean, as far as um, maybe hooking up, because uh, we had we had been doing that, or that's what we had been doing when we first met. And that part actually kind of never s- stopped the whole time we were we were physically together. And that's something the part that we both really enjoyed. And so that was definitely a new thing for me, but an exciting thing and something that I also wanted to continue. So hook, hooking up with other people at the same time that you were together. Correct. As, yes, as a joint together. Effort. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was, it was bolstered by the fact that due to our location, we were kind of off the beaten path in Eastern Europe and uh, the friends that we had there, we just happened to fall in with a group of really fun, open-minded, sexual, adventurous people. So it wasn't a huge emotional toll to like go out all together at night and then see what kind of wacky adventures happen at the end of it. It was a pretty natural process. But as far as the emotional intimacy, that was really only shared between us from the very beginning. We were always emotionally kind of monogamous, but with lots of good, solid sex friends that didn't see themselves as more than that with us, which was convenient. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of people want to find that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is one of the things that we wanted to, um, to, to mention coming on your guys' show was that was the, the characterization of couples like us as unicorn hunters and the pejorative that comes with that. It's something that we've struggled with. I don't know, baby, you can say more. Well, I've been doing a lot of reading and listening recently um or since it's all and since this began actually and yeah that's a term that's obviously a, a very uh negative one and i'm so then i'm questioning if, we, if we're doing this or if we act this way and i've posed this question to steve as well but i think it's a i mean i don't think we're asking anything i mean when you say sex friends which is kind of a funny term but it's, it is really what it is and actually that strengthens those friendships quite a bit we have great experiences doing that and actually me still being in the city uh, some of my best friends here kind of be began, we began hooking up actually. And then like that friendship really strengthened and then maybe the hookup part fell, fell away, but I don't know. It's been, I think a really positive thing. Right. Yeah. And I think with the, the unicorn hunting, and this is something that, that we've talked actually to quite a few different people about, because I think the the reason it oftentimes is a negative is when people, let's say a man and a woman, right. are looking for another woman and it's very much that they leverage their power is the couple over the other person, right? And that it's, well, you're our girlfriend. You can't go out and see other people. You, when we want you, you come calling, you know, that, that sort of piece of it. But if, if this other person is, is treated as an equal and has the, their full autonomy to do as they wish, and you guys are friends and it's very like open and, and honest, I don't personally see an issue with that. And I know that there's probably people listening that say, well, you don't get to decide that because how, how can you tell somebody else that you're, you're providing not, that you're to not them? In position. Yeah. So it's, it is a very gray area, but I mean, if, if what you're looking for or what you found are other women who are really good friends and you guys have sex, like to me, if everybody's happy and healthy and excited about it, I don't, I personally don't see an issue with it. And I, I don't know. Well, and that's, that's fantastic. This is what I prefer to hear, but I don't know in my, in my adventures throughout the non-monogamy and poly worlds, I have run into like not a little bit of snobbery about these things. You know, there, there's a certain, um, 
sense of superiority that comes along with some of these poly and non-monogamous relationships that people think that they're the next fucking evolution. Oh, sorry. Can I swear on the show? Yeah. Can I? You can definitely swear. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> they think they're like the next evolution of humanity and anybody who isn't doing it their exact way is bad. And the unicorn hunting label is one of the easiest ones. And it's one we've heard about ourselves from other poly couples in the past too. Right. Right. Well, and maybe to, to build on it and clarify a little bit what you two, I guess what it looks like for you guys, right. It sounds like has been, you go out with a group of friends and whoever ends up together, ends up together that evening. And that at the end of the day, or maybe the next morning after pancakes, uh, you two are the two that wind up back together. And that is sort of the dynamic. Or at least it was True. when they were together. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I would say <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I mean, I would say we're, we're pretty, we were always very laid back about it. You know, we'd had friends that stayed entire weekends with us. You know, we, we'd go out Friday night and they'd be there until Sunday. Um, we had friends that get sick and we, we'd take care of them until they were better, not trying to molest them sexually during the whole thing. You know, there was, there was a, a sense of community in the, in the sex friends that we had and everybody knew each other and the parties were obviously, um, you know, a lot of times they were bigger than the three of us. There'd be four of us, five of us, whatever it was. And it was, it was always just a fun, very sexual atmosphere that created but it was also super reassuring and supportive and very female centric because Michelle is always about supporting her fellow women. <laughs> um, yes, but also very unplanned. And I think that should be something uh, stressed too. And also it's kind of a lot of a first experience for a lot of people. I mean, no one, me included, expected that. So somehow it was a very like fun, new, freeing, yeah, like sexually free, empowered space, which was a really cool new experience for a lot of people, me included in that, but I think we all treat each other as well as possible and, and took good things from it. So that was, that was a really fun time. Yeah. Have you, I mean, maybe flipping the script a little, have you ever, uh, Michelle, been the unicorn that was hunted in a sense, or has it largely been on? No the, one can see your air quotes. I know, but they're there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I have not. And I question why not, why I have not been asked. <laughs> um, in the Midwest for some reason as a bi girl for a long time no I'm only slightly saddened by this obviously but I do I'm curious what I you know I don't know would or how that would be these days it seems so easy as well on on tinder and whatever apps or um programs um but no I I have not no but I she's, she's frustrated about that I was gonna say it seems like something that you would be open to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does, it does, doesn't it? But yeah, but the dynamic is good now. But actually, I guess my first threesome ever was with the was with a boyfriend younger, and he invited a a girl into the bedroom, and we broke up quickly after that because my he was um, surprised and uh, negatively so with the, with our interest in each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what? Shocked Pikachu then, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe I maybe to build on that though is the the question of if as the person who could potentially be a unicorn, what is it that you would be looking for to help ensure the equality so you didn't feel the hunted or feel sort of objectified by a couple that was looking to include you? Yeah, I think it's a perspective we try to have, actually. Because I, I don't think that we ask very much, but usually, you know, they're built on friendship. So it's always the offer to go out or go, you know, meet for drinks or come back later if, you know, always very optional. 
but we usually uh, have fun. So during the experiences, uh, Michelle is always, if we, if we meet somebody at a bar, you know, often we'll go out with our friends or go out by ourselves for drinks. If we meet somebody at a bar who's cool and good conversation, the fact that we're in an open relationship comes out pretty quickly. I wouldn't say that we, we force it. It's not this, you know, that we don't introduce ourselves and then say we're in an open relationship, but it's hard to talk about like our past experiences and places we've lived without mentioning that like we've had these crazy adventures all over Europe and other parts of the world. So once that's out there and we sense curiosity on somebody else's part, we always want to make sure like, yo, you know, we're not specifically hitting on you. We, we, we're just chatting right now, but if you're curious, we're happy to answer the questions. And I think that's enough validation to, to put a lot of people at ease because yeah, a lot of that, that sense that they're being hunted or that they're being seduced you know, outright by this couple can be kind of overwhelming. And we never want to put anybody in that weird sort of position. Right. And so you were going to, you were going to say something as well, Michelle. Um, yeah. Well, I do think there's a fun line actually somehow with, and we're still working on it. But like with being, um, being open about like, uh, I guess our open relationship and also seeming like we're coming on, I feel like sometimes people can take it that way and that's never our intention and, and kind of makes me feel icky too. But the, the thing I want to say before with having, you know, friends, something and that me emphasizing that it was a good experience, but also we kind of struggled sometimes with having those friends then kind of expect us to hook up at the end of the night every time. Which was, which is funny because that should be the goal. But sometimes it can be such a like a homebody, or sometimes we just want like couple time too. And then, um, yeah, that was also interesting to navigate. Yeah, yeah, because and sometimes you may just not want to, like exactly what you said, like you're just not feeling it or just not interested. But you don't, you loved having the conversation, but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to go to the next step. Exactly. Yeah. How and there was there was one. Oh, I was going to say there's, there's one incident recently where we got literally chased around a bar by a girl who was like, you hook up with other people. You're going to hook up with me. This is happening tonight. And we had to literally flee the bar because she was being so aggressive with us, which is, is not that, a bad problem to have, but it's funny. Was that the engagement <laughs> night? Was that, that was that night? Indeed the engagement. Night. Yeah. That was yeah. And our engagement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were unicorn hunted. Is what she yes. Is. <laughs> we were hunted by the unicorn. Indeed. It was, they got horns. They're scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the night that we got engaged i was gonna tell the story the, the night it. that we got engaged michelle set up this uh wonderful surprise party she got upwards of 50 of our friends together to surprise me and she tricked me all at every point of the the the, the process it was my going away from where we were living it was around the time that i would be leaving so she told everybody that you know uh, steve is leaving uh, come out. We're also going to get engaged. So everybody knew this was happening for weeks before I ever did. And she tricked me to wear a suit. She's like, let's dress up. It's a fun night. You should put on a suit. You should get a haircut. You should, I don't know, maybe just think about it. Like she, she got me prepped for this whole thing and then proposed to me in front of 50 of our friends. And it was a really, really sweet occasion. And then everybody got very, very drunk. And there were some out of town friends of friends there that heard that we were also kind of sex weirdos on the side. And they were there with us all throughout the latter half of the night after we just got engaged. It seemed in poor taste. (laughs) (laughs) I guess also looking back on that in the future, we could also be more vocal about, you know, it'll just be a us night. Learning. We should have announced it to the crowd. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) As part of the engagement, as part of the proposal. (laughs) Yeah. 
and in, the, in their defense, we've had slept with like 30% of the people at our engagement parties. Uh, they can be excused on that front. I mean, no. <laughs> it was like 26%. Come on. <laughs> no. Well, good job, Michelle. It sounds like you rocked that surprise. <laughs> Thanks. It's fun. Mm, sounds very thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe moving away from, we don't have to dwell on the unicorn hunting thing. I think it is good to hear though how you approach it and that that you are very conscientious about it. And I think this is something else too, where people are going to make mistakes and I'm sure you probably have, and I'm sure you probably will. Right. But if, you know, as you're navigating this, you're very aware of the dynamic and it's, you try not to exercise that like, well, thanks for coming over, but it's time for us to go back to us now. So get out of our house, right? It's it's a very much more of an inclusive, friendly environment. And I think I think that's what's important about all that. So we're right. And, and one of the trends we've spotted in other couples that we've met that do kind of the same thing that we're doing is that a lot of them, not all of them, but a, a majority of the ones that we've met personally, they seem to substitute this this sort of sexual dynamic as a personality we want to make sure that we're being decent human beings to whoever we're with for in whatever capacity we're with them first before we get to all the naked stuff because we don't want to lose the the sense of genuine connection uh, that comes with with putting sex before connection right, right right well and so as you two have grown has this largely continued to be the dynamic i mean although now you two are in separate yeah separate countries continents um do you see that being the dynamic when when you're allowed to travel again and see each other? Or how has that shifted? Well, I hope it will continue to be for sure. And we've, uh, can I say that we have a joint Tinder? Is that? <laughs> yeah, we do. Tinder. We have a joint Tinder account. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, um, I don't know, that's kind of an easy way if I can say to like meet, um, people and we're not sleazy on it. I don't know. Some people are only showing one person and, kind of tr- like trying to trick slide that other person in the very end and all of our pictures are us together. So I don't, you know, in our description as well. So hopefully that's obvious. Although one, one, uh, I know, I know your, is- I know your <laughs> listeners can't see, but I can, I can show you guys right here. Yep. We can vouch for them. They're both in the photo. <laughs> yes, they are. Two, Except- two for one. <laughs> and can you believe with that picture, some woman in Istanbul thought that we were brother and sister. And we're kissing on each other and all of them. So that was that was a misunderstanding. I had to clarify. It was a language issue. Okay, that, that makes more sense. A language issue, okay. But still, from that picture, you don't look like brother and sister. Right, I close. should hope not, judging by the, the, the pose. But yeah. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So, the, so when you two are able to come back together, hopefully you can continue that. And while you're apart, how have you adapted and adjusted the dynamic to fit the current model. Yeah. So there was someone that was a friend of ours and, um, I have continued to see her and we've actually become closer. I would say girlfriend, even I've said girlfriend before that has been a really nice way to spend time. She's super sweet to me. And, uh, and Steve sees that also, and is very supportive and that means a lot. And that means a lot to have that. And also that he's supportive of that. And since he's also been, (laughs) Do you want to talk about the more complicating factors there? Because I think this is fertile ground for discussion. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so the the girl I'm seeing here, it's become more complicated because we were all together and kind of I assumed everyone was on the same page. And in the future, for sure, I will check in more often. But it turns out that she does not 
um, have fond feelings for Steve. And that's um, made it quite awkward and difficult to manage. And Steve continues to be supportive um, because he sees this as a good thing for me and is very yeah, compassionate and patient. But it's been something that I struggle with for sure, trying to manage that and then not wanting to withhold any information, still be honest, and still be me. And um, kind of, I don't know, at, at one point seemed like juggling. Yes, now there's some sort of understanding and I understand that I, um, her perspective and that I can be there, I don't know, for her still and and still have the feelings I do towards Steve and that that relationship. So is it it's almost shifted to more of a a polyamory sort of dynamic where you you have a, a primary but also sort of a secondary partner as well. I guess, yeah. I was wondering if somebody would ask me if I was polyamorous. I never intended to be, because we had always intended to be kind of emotionally exclusive, but definitely feelings were caught there and they are there. And, um, I, so I would answer that question as maybe I'm acting polyamorously. I don't know if I, you know, feel that as an identity. Um, but that is, yeah, my situation now. Mm-hmm. On your end, Steve, how have, it's not, at the beginning, you mentioned that you've seen a couple people as well since you're separated. How has that gone? So initially I didn't, I didn't want this time apart. We were only supposed to be apart for about five months and that has now been extended to, we, we expect about seven when this all you know, comes back together. We're hoping, you know, when the airports open back up, but we, we didn't intend for me to see anybody without Michelle present, without her participating physically being here, uh, because it just seemed like less risk. It seemed like less uh, risk of complication and risk of somebody being left on their continent, feeling out of touch and, and non-participatory in their relationships. And it really wasn't that big of an ask. Um, I have plenty of work. I do, I do have a pretty serious job in my professional life. So it's not hard to distract myself with that. But with Michelle catching feelings, as she said, for her girlfriend over there and spending more time. And I think seeing that time can be spent and it can be a healthy, supportive thing, even to like care about you know somebody else and connect emotionally as well as sexually. I think that's prompted her to encourage me to... Uh, experiment and make new friends over here and try to spend the time more socially. It's had mixed results. It's been pretty good the few times that we've done it. And the the girls that I've seen over here are all aware of everything. We do video chats, uh, video happy hours. And then, um, you know, so she, they get to see and interact with Michelle and it makes it, it gives it a sense of normalcy, I think. But at the same time, if you know it's a bad day in Eastern Europe, then some of the negative thoughts about me spending time with other women can creep in on her side. And similarly for me, some of the negative thoughts about Michelle's girlfriend can creep in for me too. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a spectrum, you know, there are amazing days where we can tell each other all the nasty details of the sex we did the night before. And there are other days where we feel kind of weird about it and we have to have like a more emotional talk about what we're going through. It just, it's, it's kind of up in the air and being under lockdown under such concentrated attention is, is also contributing to that a lot, I think. Right. That doesn't necessarily help the situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do have roommates and uh, they are very confused by what's happening because they've met my fiance before. And uh, then they're seeing a lot of other women traipse through the house. And I don't think they understand what's going on. <laughs> have they asked you or like, have you broached that topic with them? Or are they No, no, watching? they're, they're, they're far too polite. They're far too polite to ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> he must be, he must be starting a business, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> 
So I was, I mean, and I said we were, we would move on from the, the unicorn hunting, but I think <laughs> but now you're bringing well, me back. Back. <laughs> I think it's a perfect, so something that came up since I said that was that, uh, I think a lot of times where the, the couple exercises their couple privilege would be in exactly the situation where it, the woman has a, another potentially in this example, right? So Michelle has a girlfriend and it would be very easy for Steve to say, well, Hey, it's getting too serious. She doesn't necessarily like me. You have to cut that off. And I think that's where people would look at this and say, that's, that's the thing that's wrong with this is he's going to say, Nope, it's us cut her out because she's threatening us. And it sounds like it's been very much the opposite that even though there aren't the strongest, fondest feelings, mutually right that you're like hey this is good for you you keep doing your thing i'm super supportive and yeah i guess i wanted to circle back because i saw that as maybe the crux of the unicorn hunting issue and that you guys got slapped in the face with it pretty hard and it sounds like you're navigating it we are i mean it's it's easy for me to see that even if the girlfriend isn't a huge fan of me i i've heard her reasoning for it I think she's she's factually wrong, but I do get the the sentiment. I get what she's feeling, and I understand where it's coming from, because she really has feelings for Michelle, and who wouldn't? I mean, she's beautiful. She's great. I have feelings for Michelle. I can empathize on that level. And she makes Michelle happy. The time they spend together is always well spent, and uh, I don't I don't see it as a threat. It could become that in the future, but I haven't. No, no behavior or instance has gotten to the point at this point that I. I feel like our emotional intimacy is threatened, but I'm also aware of it and on the lookout for it. So it could go that way in the future, but I don't, I don't see the reason now. Yeah. And I mean, we do talk, you say we talk, uh, have more emotional talks sometimes specifically after maybe you've seen someone on your side, but I would say that we have emotional talks all the time. I feel like we're talking about feelings all the time and it's great actually. I don't know. There's hundred percent transparency, nothing I hide. Sometimes I use this phrase, like I just like throw up my feelings on on you, Steve, which is what some people are into, not us necessarily, but emotionally speaking. Yes. And, um, and yeah, uh, thank I mean, you for clarifying that. Yeah, <laughs> <very sure. laughs> yeah. But I mean, he would be the first to know if there was, if, you know, if something was really threatening us. So I think I hope that you feel safe in that position yeah. of knowing. Yeah. And we discussed this before we left too. Um, Michelle was very good about asking for boundaries or rules or anything I wasn't okay with. And I did the same thing. Um, and I think that kind of level setting discussion before we started spending significant amounts of time apart really made it easy to navigate. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's, it's manageable and having a partner that, you know, if I have a bad day and I'm feeling bad about her spending time with the girlfriend, I can just say it out loud. And then we talk about it. We figure out where that's coming from and then it's gone. It's, um, it's a, it's a nice balance. I think we struck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I think it's great. And it's obviously a a difficult situation to navigate, right? And that you kind of came at it from a very casual, uh, a casual approach. And then it has, through circumstance, morphed maybe somewhat out of your control, but like the, and that you two are embracing it and, and growing with it. And I guess, how have you seen it like impact or bring either the two of you? closer like has it impacted your relationship positively or has it also there been some some drawbacks to it as well and i I know we've talked a little bit about that but maybe just giving you the opportunity to to talk about it a bit more well and to 
uh, add to that real quick. Uh, have, you mentioned you did make a bunch of rules and boundaries at the beginning before you started spending time apart. Have those shifted or changed or uh, have you pretty much stuck to the same ones? I would say like the situation has changed drastically. And then, so the rules and boundaries have, but when we we're together, it was, uh, it was like a, almost everything go sort of, sort of thing, as long as our communication was there and it always was. And I think a misconception maybe that some women specifically had was that Steve had the final say. So they would go up to him maybe, and, um, maybe start flirting and, you know, not pay attention on my side, which of course is a no, cause we are an us. Yeah. This was, this was a theme for us pretty consistently, both men and women would, would approach me as sort of the gatekeeper of this relationship. You know, if they wanted to participate sexually with us, they would come to me. And I think I understand the, the, the male inclination because it's like, Hey, we're bros. I guess we can, you know, like, are we going to do this or what? It was really awkward for me when women would come to me instead of Michelle, um, and sort of ignore connecting with Michelle in favor of getting closer to me and getting me to give the, the, the sign off on them being with us sexually. I'm not saying it's a bad problem to have. I mean, I, I know I sound like a, I'm a martyr <laughs> complex right now. All these women want to have sex with us and I have to sort them, but it's not that it's, it's, it's more like we, we do want actual genuine friends and it's really hard to start a genuine friendship, a sexual one or a platonic one off when it's so one-sided. But speaking of like the rule specifically, I, I mean, I think it was kind of an unspoken rule. We, I don't think we ever really talked about it, but I was actually the one always making the yes or no at the end. Always actually. And that, that provided me with a lot of security. And that was kind of like the unspoken rule, I suppose. And as far as it like bringing us closer, definitely, absolutely. And it's not all been women as well. Some men have kind of sprinkled in there too. But even when it's a, usually it's a great experience again, and I can, somehow you can always recall the bad ones, right? But even those, I mean, they did bring us closer because you learn so much from that as well. And then, you know, we talk, we'll talk about it for forever. So um, then we'll know completely like what upset who, how, how we avoid it, and then move forward that way in a pretty, in a pretty logical way. Even if I try to go down the emotional tornado, um, Steve will pull me out on like yeah. a, on the yeah. path forward. So, I, are there things that either of you have experienced because of your uh, ability to explore this together that that either a you never thought in a million years you would get to experience, or b that you never thought you would even be into until like it happened. Yes. You want to tell them, you want to tell them about Berlin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, sure. Um, let's see. So have you heard of Kit Kat? The candy? <laughs> no. Uh, delicious, like, delicious. You know. candy. <laughs> Emma, do you know? I've heard something about it, but I don't know exactly what it is. Okay. It's a sex club in Berlin, a really big one. And it's, uh, we kind of went on a whim when we arrived there once after kind of fancy dinner, little did we know there was a dress code, uh, which we barely <laughs> made. Uh, it was, it was leather, I guess I had a leather skirt on, which is great. And, and, uh, Steve got by with the, I don't know what you say, boxers or like I don't know, leather under looking sport <laughs> underwear is the best way I can describe how I squeezed through that doorway. It was black and it passed. Um, so yeah. we got in and this was really incredible and this was super eye opening, and that happened pretty early on, maybe in the first couple of months, actually. So there was, you know, uh, you know, groups of people we were engaged with. And I mean, this, this club, you, I mean, absolutely should go. There's a sauna, there's a pool, there's 
like a bar hangout area, different dance stages, a room of beds and people being tied up. I mean, specific shows. And we met a lot of like other interesting people there, a lot of open-mindedness, of course. And yeah, and yeah, we had another, our first guy there also, which I did not also realize that'd be something I was into, but was enjoyable experience for everyone. And yeah, was there more you want to say about it? There was, well, talking about rules and the way things have been implemented. When we went into the sex club, you go to the coat check and everybody's naked. There's dicks out, tits out. It's, it's amazing. It's great. Everybody's very liberal and free. Um, and we kind of huddled before we went into the main area. Okay, we're here. This is happening. Let's make a promise to each other that we're not going to do anything separate from each other. We're going to be together and it's going to be fine. So we fell into a group that was traveling through. It was about six people, including the guy that we were with later on in the night and a bunch of other young women that were also American. So we all wound up having a bit of a party with them, which was very fun. And then after that, everybody went to go dance, but somebody had to stay with the stuff. So I stayed with the stuff. I stayed with the purses and I sat and sipped my drink and looked around at all the, you know, the human safari that was around me. And uh, while Michelle was off dancing, a, a young woman uh, completely naked with a bunch of glow-in-the-dark body paint came over and sat in my lap and rubbed all over me. And she's like, what is your fantasy? And I was like, oh, my girlfriend's over there. I promise she'll be right back. So she gets bored and leaves, but I have body paint all over me now. And Michelle comes back and she says, I leave you for two <laughs> minutes. And what have you gotten up to? <laughs> now you have, now you go in the dark so, too. <laughs> indeed. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, Kit Kat, I love the name too. Like yeah. when you first said it, I thought, I swore there was an app that was named that and maybe there is. And that's where I've heard of it. I don't know. I'm but, sure there uh, is, yeah. I think that's a cool club name. I did not know it was a club. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it, was, like uh, a, it was a it was a wild time. Sorry. And a fun addition to that story though is that um that we yeah, we said we we're gonna stick together, but we we're still relatively new then. And then me knowing that he had also said, you know, no to someone because I was away also meant a lot at the time, actually. That was our first I don't know. I can imagine it'd be a very tempting experience. So that was Yeah, I think that's one thing that we've we've pointed out to people in the past is that the rules are oftentimes a really great way to build the trust. And if you can follow the rules, the rules typically start to fall away because people, they build, they usually build the rules to make them feel safe. And once they understand that, that they are safe and that you, you are there to support each other and you're not there to try to skirt the rules, like the rules typically start to vanish slowly as time goes on so i think that's a great point that's true that's yeah. interesting i can yeah, yeah. Sounds like us. and we I, the, the journey has been non-linear for us too I and mean, like you said i think we've come at this kind of the opposite way that a lot of your other interviews have at least sounded like the episodes that i've heard I've, I've heard a lot of stories of people being in monogamous relationships and then slowly opening up, you know, taking baby steps that way. We started from a very sexually liberal position and kind of narrowed down to where we're at. So coming at it from the opposite way, it's nice. It's very, very reassuring to be on that journey, not taking steps away from freedom, but defining your freedom um, in a more narrow fashion and still being okay with it and with your partner. That's not something I had ever experienced before this relationship. And it's been, it's been a really, really fulfilling way to, uh, to prosecute it. Definitely. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for saying that because you're, you're right. Like you have come at this a little bit different way than um, a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, yeah. how do you two keep yourself safe? I guess, you know, both, 
sexually and physically, right? You're potentially, uh, people are, you know, potentially coming over that, that you don't maybe know them super well, right? Just like keeping yourself safe physically and sexually as you've explored this over the last, you know, couple of years together. We've, we've been pretty conscious of the fact that engaging with as many people as we do uh, has an inherent risk to it. So we engage in safer sex to the extent possible whenever we can. Uh, we're always pretty honest with our partners. Um, we don't hold really anything back from those dialogues. And we want people to be making an informed, intentional decision to be with us. So the safety aspect is kind of inherent in that. We're also not we're not typically given to just grabbing somebody from a bar and bringing them home. That does happen occasionally, but I wouldn't say it's our normal MO. Usually we do, you know, have friendships, build friendships and the people that we sleep with are actual friends by the time we get yeah. to that point in instances where they're not, we take appropriate precautions and we've never had a problem to date, you know, in terms of sexual health or physical uh, well-being, which is, you know, we're grateful for that. But it's not, I don't think it's, it's a very difficult issue to parse when you have communication as that, that, you know, first rule in the interaction, people can make their decisions informably and you wind up, you know, if you're looking for connection, if you're looking for substance of somebody's personality, you really avoid a lot of, uh, other people that might have a flimsier definition of themselves or, uh, problematic definitions of sexual activity. Right. So safety could, I mean, we've also defined it just using consent as well. Like everybody knowing what, what's happening. But I will say too, that's something I've been listening to on podcasts such as yours and something that we're also considering how to do more also, because there are a lot of other options that aren't maybe obvious at first. Such, such as, I mean, do you mind talking a little more about it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, there's condoms of course, but like there are other things too, if people want to engage in that. And that's not something that um, kind of we've heard from anyone we've been with, but I don't know, something I'm thinking about more too, because it is a serious topic. And and yeah, again, we haven't had a problem yeah. yet. But well, it sounds like you try to build yeah. up some level of trust with people that you are with. However, you know, that's not fail-proof, right? So um, it sounds like both of you are considering it and figuring out the ways, best ways to keep you you're both safe. Yes. Right. Another another kind of comical aspect of this is I got I got a vasectomy when I was quite young, when I was about 22, 23, because I didn't want kids. And that was like a very big ethical point for me. Uh, and it still is. I love talking about the ethics of reproduction and things like that with people that, that want to hear it. But when in, in the sexual context, when I say I have a vasectomy, like some girls, guys get wired, like, oh, cool. And they assume that there's no protection required at that point, which we have to walk back sometimes in certain circumstances. Like that's not the only reason. <laughs> to wear a condo <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah do you have any um i know you've shared a, a handful of funny moments throughout um this conversation but has we like to ask about bloopers like has there been another funny moment that or multiple multiple that you'd want to share that basically shows that we're it's, all human and that shit happens <laughs> can i can i tell them the story about fashing in cologne yeah, this is a, yeah, this is a good one. Um, so this, I guess, this is relevant to the consent issue. Uh, Michelle and I were in Cologne, Germany, for fashing, which is like their Mardi Gras. They uh, they burn effigies in the streets, and there's people drinking. It's crazy. It's it's a fun time. We matched with a, a young woman on Tinder at this point, and she was one of these. Not she wasn't a catfish. It was just a it was a solo female profile 
that in conversation immediately became apparent that apparent that her boyfriend, husband, whatever would be coming with her, which not, you know, disqualifying, but it's also not a great foot to lead off on, but whatever we were out and we were having fun. We said, why not? Um, so we met up with them and they were nice. He was quite, uh, reserved. He was really quiet and borderline awkward, but not bad. And she, it was obvious that she was driving this interaction. Like she wanted group sex and he was tolerating this, uh, tendency of hers, but not exactly embracing it. So we hang out for a few hours. We see the effigy burn. We go to a gay club. We're dancing. We're having fun. Michelle and I huddle outside of the club uh, and decide whether or not we're going to go through with the sex of of that night, the the main event. And we both kind of shrug. We're like, nah, I'm not really feeling it. I'm drunk. I'm tired. They're, you know, borderline anyway. Let's, let's call it. Let's just, let's not do it tonight. So then the girls huddle, Michelle and, and, and the, the girl from the other couple, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle says, um, you know, you guys are great. We had a lot of fun, but we're not feeling it. We're just going to go home. And then what happens next, baby? Right. So I think I phrase it more as like, it's not you. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. And I think she took that very literally as being her and maybe there's something wrong with him. Um, so <laughs> she tells him to kick it up a notch, uh, apparently. So they come back in. And, um, yeah, he picks me up immediately. He's twirling me around. I was like, ah, you know, just, that was a surprise, an unwanted surprise. Uh, she comes over to Steve, grabs his balls, talking nasty in your ear. Um, so that was a, a bit of an overload. And so we look at each other. I think we throw some euros down, grab our stuff, forget my favorite sweater. Um, <laughs> that part of the story. And we run away, just run kind of bolt for it. And yeah, I think we run behind this truck. We have a cigarette there. We hop into another bar and kind of just wait until we know that we've, we've fully escaped. Um, but it just seemed, it seemed like there was no other option almost. There's, you know, there's no, no for an answer. And um, yeah, something to be learned from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were not taking your uh, no. Yeah. Kind uh, of communication <laughs> breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We did. We did have another incident with it with a very good sex friend of ours um, that we're still friends with to this day. We she had had a party at her house, and we ended up sleeping over with her and had a great night. And um, everybody had been very, very drunk by the end of the night. And as happens when you when you get that drunk, our friend had um, wet the bed, and then proceeded to try to blame us for it. <laughs> wow, I forgot about um, that. And that made that friendship awkward for a few weeks thereafter. And so she finally admitted, like, yeah, you're right. it's probably me. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> wow, you know, totally in a one-on-one interaction, it has to be one person. But if there's three people in the bed, you can blame whoever you want. Take right. pick. Maybe it was all three of you. I mean, it could have been. One could hope. That would be a beautiful shared experience. <laughs> Wait, Michelle, did you ever get your sweater back? No, no, I did not. I've tried to replace it, but it's just impossible. Donation to the gods of (laughs) non-monogamy. No, but that I can relate because I mean it's just frustrating when you lose something like that, and then in that situation you're like, I was already upset about it all, and then it's that on top of it. (laughs) I'm cold. As dumb as it sounds. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, is there anything? that we didn't talk about that you two really wanted to share and get out in the world about yourselves or your story or non-monogamy and before we let you get along with your Easter Sunday. Michelle wrote a list. 
Oh, well, I think we covered most everything. I'm a list maker. Um, Me too. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the way we're talking about it sounds so like, I don't know, like crazy party people, like, um, I don't know, crazy nights. And, and then we have had that for sure. But also now it seems so like controlled and I don't know, a sense of like a normalcy, um, especially what's going on in, in my side. It's like, you know, nothing, I don't know. It's not like all flashlights. It's kind of like a very like consensual way forward where it's like a sharing of time and feelings and kind of a more, I don't know, sweet way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, and, and for, for anybody else that's, uh, that's dabbling in this or trying it or, or has a casual relationship that they would like to make more serious without losing that sort of sexually free aspect of it, it's totally possible. I mean, we did it non-monogamy can't just be two separate people doing whatever the hell they want whenever they want to do it. it it requires some commitment compromise and understanding but if you're willing to take the time to do it it can turn out well for us and had the coronavirus not hit we'd be married yesterday as living proof of it right right yeah. so so something else that i was maybe curious if we can touch on really quick is the the ubiquity of non-monogamy or casual sex or group sex in maybe Eastern Europe and Europe in general, right? It sounds like you have traveled quite a bit throughout Europe. And just in your experience, what have you found in terms of people being open about this? And Because we people we have talked to that have experience in Europe say it's very different from the States and other cultures. So I'm sure it also varies depending on what country you're in. Um. I have lots of thoughts on that. Can I take it, Michelle? Yes, please. So being where we were in Eastern Europe, it was a, a very religious, very um, uh, uh, conservative society. But we as Americans existed, just as foreigners in general, I guess, we existed in this kind of like separate bubble. Meaning if a young person or anybody, I guess, in the society wants to engage in some of these non-standard sexual, emotional practices or lifestyles, if they do that, the people that they engage with are going to know their uncles, cousins, brothers, aunts, sisters. It's a very connected society, but we existed outside of that. So we, with our kind of wacky identity and, and, you know, very, we weren't shy about who we were. It was very attractive to a lot of people. And it reinforced my assumption that, you know, I would say the majority of the human population is curious about the kind of things that we do and the kind of things that you guys talk about on your show. They just don't have the social space to explore it. But give somebody the opportunity and give them a sense of security and uh, acceptance within that. And you, you, the conversations you have and the people that you meet are really going to surprise you. So in a conservative place like we were, I, we met plenty of people with way more open minds than they were probably allowed to express otherwise with people from their own town, culture, country. Yeah, you were almost... Uh a safe haven, yeah. right? You are a world inside of a world that they could step in and out of uh, yeah. is almost some respite from that. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, at the, end of, at the end of the day, we're using like very high-minded uh, language to describe this. At the end of the day, everybody wants to have fun. Everybody wants to hang out, be casual, and everybody wants to get laid and have sex. And if you can offer a caring, supportive environment to do that where nobody feels judged and they can have exactly whatever they want, yeah, it's pretty enticing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, what, I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, uh, Michelle, as well. I know you've you've been experiencing it maybe a little bit longer and a little bit different now, too, that you're there on your own. 
Yeah, it does change the dynamic quite a bit, but I'm still really involved in, I would say we also had a strong connection with the LGBTQ community. They were also kind of like under, I don't know, kind of underground here, definitely not supported. Um, and, but still wanted to go out and party and we kind of uh, got close to that community somehow. And I still feel that closeness, which is really nice. Um, I mean, the friends we made as a couple are still my close friends, which is great. Yeah. And I never, yeah, I never dabbled in anything like this or ever thought I would being, I don't know, growing up in the Midwest and living there and then coming straight to Europe and other places abroad. But I definitely think more open-minded here and it's fantastic. It's yeah. I mean, all my close friends here are really open-minded. I imagine in the cities we go, there are so many different opportunities and different people to meet and funny, funny characters. And that's a huge plus, I think, of this um, maybe way of living. Sounds quite dramatic, but <laughs> yeah. And yeah. something that um, Steve earlier, that, that is something, you know, we did it, but I think we're also continuing to do it because we choose to do it. And it's also evolving. And that's something exciting too, looking forward, like knowing that these new relationships maybe with other people will form and um, be added in some way, or I don't know, just new experiences we will have, or maybe we'll take time to focus on each other more. And I imagine that will come in, in, um, in different waves and knowing all of that too is thrilling. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Super exciting. So, well, so th- I mean, thank you both for, for sharing with us and taking the time to talk to us and being honest and open about everything. We appreciate it. And we love I know we love hearing the stories. And... Yeah, we're so happy you reached out to us too. Yeah. And I mean, every story is a little bit different. And that's what we love about doing the show. And it was amazing to have both of you come on and share. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, have a wonderful Easter and uh, we will be in touch. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye, guys. And we're back. Oh, I thought that was supposed to just be a Monday thing. I know, but it was it was also because we just flew <laughs> to Eastern Europe. So you should do the sound back. Uh, wouldn't it be the same sound? Yeah, but we have to come back. <laughs> Thank you to Michelle and Steve. For I wish reaching. I could make the seatbelt ding. You can try. Nailed it. Thank you so much to Michelle and Steve for reaching out to us and coming on the show and being vulnerable and sharing their story. We really had a great time talking to you and we hope everyone got a lot out of their fun story. Yeah. And thank you for bringing up, you know, some of the topics we talked about are sometimes a little controversial in the non-monogamy world, especially around the the unicorn hunting. And so, again, thank you for, for talking about that and being willing to talk about it because it's it's something that is people are quick to judge on and it was awesome to hear your perspective and how, how the two of you approach it. So thank you. And, yes. and thank you for being ethical about it. Yes. Next week, we have an interview with Laura and David. This is the one we promised you guys a couple of weeks ago, and then we had to postpone it for unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. so it's Technical an, difficulties. It's an amazing story, and you definitely want to come back next week and listen. And in the meantime, you can go over to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and reach out to us on our contact page, and you never know, you might just get an email back. Actually, you definitely we, will. We get guarantee an email back. at 100% you will get an email back unless you put the wrong email address. And then we can't email you back. <laughs> so if you email us and you don't hear back, it's because you goofed up. It's not our fault. Right. We pass the blame. <laughs> but anyway, yes, go to our website, join our Patreon, check well, out the Come to the Patreon tonight. 
We yeah. got a, a meet and greet tonight, or a Q&A tonight. Sign up for the meet and greet in a few weeks. There's lots to do on our website. So we'd love to have you go check it out. All right. And I think that's it. We will uh, deplane. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.